0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of From the Backburner podcast. My name is Jonathan O'Dell, your host. And uh, tonight is a, is a happy hour night uh, of sorts. Uh, I am here in uh, Douglas, Arizona uh, with a good friend of mine, Tyler Webster, from the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. Welcome, Tyler. Thanks, John. Um, and so the reason why we're here, um, uh, hopefully if you guys saw uh, the, the lovely post, I'm going to get up on Instagram here uh, with that, that wonderful bar in the background. Uh, we are actually in, uh, it was the Avenue, right? Correct. The Avenue. Uh, this is a, a bed and breakfast sort of uh, a place, hotel. It is. Here in Douglas, owned by uh, Tyler's aunt, uh, Correct. Robin.
1: We've kind of turned it into a de facto quail camp. <laughs> in the last several years
0: it, it has been um this is a, a really cool thing so tyler and i are down here in in douglas um because uh hunt to eat uh hosted a learn to hunt quail camp this weekend down here and so that's why i said this was kind of our, our happy hour um the the event's over <laughs> we we have a couple libations in and
1: we, we and survived
0: we survived and, <laughs> and all that but um uh and if you're interested, you can actually listen to the podcast we did earlier with uh, uh, Matting Putellas on uh, uh, Tyler's uh, podcast. Uh, again, the, the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. Um, we got a kind of chance to wrap up with, with him there. And Matting had to get on the road, so... Uh, yeah, he has,
1: he has a long drive home.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, he had to get back up to Colorado. But um, uh, really kind of a cool event uh, that you wanted to host this year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know the older I get, and the more that i've gotten into this whole thing and conservation and teaching and all that kind of stuff, the more that I really kind of try to want to try to figure out ways to get back wow. and uh so I talked to Ma Ting back in I think in April, and I told him because he was talking about all these camps that they 're doing these how to uh, learn how to deer hunt or duck hunt or snow goose hunt or whatever and I pitched a couple of ideas. I said, well, I said, if you guys are interested, I would uh, host one at my place in North Dakota in September for sharptails. And I said, I'll talk to my aunt. I said, but I'm sure that she'd be interested in hosting one down at her place in Arizona um, in December or January. And North Dakota Game and Fish shut it down uh, for the North Dakota one. Um, They they said that that wasn't going to wasn't going to fly up there. Um, and it, it really is kind of sad because it's a really good, you know, the last couple of days we really kind of got to see literally a young 17 year old who had never held a gun before uh, taking him through the ethics of hunting through, um, you know, conservation, through all the different principles, through uh, firearm safety in the field, uh, hunting over dogs, all this kind of stuff. Hunting a very small part of these camps that they're putting on. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is all about teaching people how to do things and kind of broadening their horizons. And I think that the North Dakota Game and Fish Department really kind of messed up by not allowing it. Yeah. Um, but you guys with, with Arizona Game and Fish Department, um, you know, we ran it through you guys, made sure that you know, like the parameters were set. Yeah. And and you know by by following that, I think that it was a, a really good opportunity.
0: Yeah, and I, it, what's funny is is, is um, I think Tyler kind of softens the blow in that where he's like, you know, this is it's kind of a crash course for this. Of course, it was it was a young kid and, and his father um, mm-hmm. who uh, they he was really the youngest of of all the ones we had. Most everyone else was was a little bit older and, and sure. folks from all over the place, but uh you know from a participant standpoint i mean we were we were pretty much uh it was with a fire hose (laughs) like you know just this this kind of introduction to like you know it it goes beyond the crash course like there was so much information yeah that they got in such a a small window of time (laughs) information Um,
1: overload almost yeah and and then
0: and then really just being thrust into the fire of the crucible of
1: of hunting (laughs) (laughs) well and (laughs) You and you know we didn't take it easy on them either because uh the uh uh, the country down here really does present its own challenges, um, right. for people who aren't used to walking and hiking in terrain. That's every step is treacherous to, to say on level would be, it would be a generous <laughs> statement. Uh, I mean, we're, we're literally tripping over softball sized pieces of lava rock down in the desert where everything pokes you. I mean, there's cat claw, there's uh, prickly pears, there's mesquite, there's everything and then uh for the afternoon hunt well let's throw elevation into the mix as well and let's go up into the canyons and chase yeah, burns yeah. up and down now, let, now let's go march up and down <laughs> yeah, hills and yeah. stuff
0: yeah <laughs> that's uh it's pretty uh it, it was a lot for those folks but i'm i'm everybody yeah. loved it
1: though they did yeah I mean, it I,
0: really I, did the end of it it's you know they they got a very well-rounded experience for uh you know maybe a first time sure learning how to quail hunt and seeing what it's all about and and uh and also cool a uh, mixed bag Mm-hmm. um because there were uh doves and ducks and a jackrabbit and i mean just about everything a couple taken. types of
1: quail yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Um, they got to experience it all um actually all three quail kind of got harvested through this camp or did we not get a we did not get a that's right
1: um and uh nick uh one of the participants did not let me live it down uh, <laughs> <laughs> because i kind of made a little bit of a deal about uh the spot that i took him is is one of the spots that it's it's kind of a special spot for me uh And (laughs) I was like, all right, I'm going to make you guys pledge secrecy that you're never going to go back in there kind of a deal because I like to go in there myself. And uh, when we got back to the trucks yesterday evening, Nick was like, yeah, I don't think you're going to have to worry about us coming back into your secret spot. (laughs) But uh, I mean, so... Myrn's quail, especially this year, really does present uh, a, a whole host of challenges. First of all, it's very dry. Yeah. Uh, we did get some rain on Friday, which was uh, it helped a lot. Um, it's very calm. There's not very much wind down here. No. And the grass in the Myrn's quail canyons this year, because of all the monsoon rains, are preposterous. Yeah. I mean, like, it's waist-deep and thick. And if the dogs aren't basically right on top of them birds you ain't going to find them. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, like they're there. Me, me and Wade have been talking about it for the last couple days because it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, like we've just come to the conclusion that there's sign there. We know there's birds there. We just haven't found them yet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's it, it, I mean, that, thankfully that's, that is part of, you know, we call it hunting for a reason. That's I mean, right. It's,
1: it, the birds got to win sometimes. Yeah. They, it's, it's never fun when they do, but they, they need to win every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah, it's uh it, it can be challenging.
0: I mean obviously today we run through some some thick country and uh I, I got a chance to go out with the, the folks today <laughs> thick and, country, yeah. And
1: Understatement of the decade. <laughs> it was like trying to walk through a jungle with thorns. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs>
0: well while they were doing that, I was as we were walking around, I I saw some uh, uh <laughs> Some choya fruit, and I was like, "I was like, you know, this looks like a much better hunt for me. I'm just, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna pick up fruit instead of trying to shoot birds and stuff, and give everyone else a shot at it." But uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a good time. But yeah, I can kind of worry out? I mean, thankfully, oh, man. thankfully, I mean, we've had just a tremendous amount of food. <laughs> uh, available to, to keep, you know, everybody going and, and well, full and all that stuff. I'm not and, sure how
1: I can walk 20,000 steps a day and still gain weight, but I think <laughs> I've accomplished it this week.
0: Well, I, you know, Hank talks about it. I mean, quail is really the the only calorie negative sport at the yes. end of the day from what you get out of it in birds yeah. to what you're expending to get on the
1: so. Yeah, on a good quail hunt, you can maybe – maybe get a pound or two of meat <laughs> maybe <laughs> well, meanwhile you're burning 4000 calories yeah yeah
0: it's uh yeah it, but on top of that yeah the fact that we have we have eaten plenty and plenty good yeah uh, this whole time it, 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 Thankfully for new participants, I think, you know, we, 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 there were participants from coast to coast. I mean, we had LA, we had Virginia, Mm -hmm. Alabama,
1: uh, just Indiana.
0: Yeah. Texas. um, New Mexico. Yeah. it was, it was quite the, quite the assemblage of, of folks and all that, that, you know, kind of got to experience this. And to me, I, I I really like, I like this because when, um, you look at, at kind of that hunter recruitment that's kind of been going on all across the country. Mm-hmm. The large focus has been on kids, you know, and, and the fact that, that Hunty kind of came up with a different model. Most of, the, most of the, the camps that you end up seeing out there are usually given for free. Sure. Uh, you know, take people out, all this other stuff. But there, there really is a niche out there that wasn't being filled uh, that Hunty really kind of glommed onto and said, you know, there's a lot of adults who would like to learn how to hunt?
1: Yeah,
0: um, and of course they're willing to to invest in that experience, right? Uh, and kind of where this this camp idea for them, you know, came up from, and so um, really serving, I think, a, an underserved demographic in this country.
1: Uh, to, well, I would agree with that. I mean. You know, the whole phenomena of, uh, of adult-onset hunting is fascinating to me. Sure, I have a couple friends, uh, one of my best friends, Nate, uh, he didn't start hunting until he was 30, um, and now he's got three bird dogs, hunts harder than I do. I mean like he like it's almost like he hunts like he's making up for lost time. I mean and th- these are people that are coming into it at a point in their life where they can actually afford to do these things where you know he can afford to buy dogs and he can go on these trips and he can get these these uh experiences that he's kind of been wanting to do in in a way for his whole life. Right. And uh it's it's the the, the people that are coming into it now at at this late stage in life, I think that they're actually almost and I don't want to pit old hunters against new hunters, but they—I uh, think that they have a better mindset even than some of the traditional hunters that have been out there for a long time. That it kind of started taking it for granted a little bit. Like these people that are coming into it, they're like they're extremely excited to learn. Um, they're not like they have no idea what they're doing, and they're very willing to admit it. Whereas a lot of the old guard that's been there for a long time. You know, they may have their, like we were talking about in my podcast earlier, they have their lane that they're really good at, but they're not very comfortable with getting outside that lane. Yeah. And these, the, you know, these new people that are coming in in their 20s, 30s, and even 40s and, and later, like Wolf, one of the mentors who was here, he didn't start hunting until he was like 50 or something like that, mm-hmm. um, very late in life. And, you know, now he's really kind of jumped in head first. And it's really kind of a cool thing to see. And I hope it continues.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's. I think when you when you look at the overall, that was really the message was you know they they talk about the the demographic of hunters and and for vast majority of the country that means you know there's a there's a a boomer population
1: mm-hmm. that, is, that is that is lead.
0: that is very high it's, yeah. it it kind of skews the it tilts the scale mm-hmm. but they're the ones who are aging out right. and, and when you looked backwards uh across the generations you know um after that like there wasn't the backfill um uh, of the same level sure you know to kind of go in and so um obviously you know by by sheer numbers boomers you know should have maybe kind of a higher thing but sure you know x had kind of tapered off and then millennials and, and it just has, has continually gone down and so that's that's really where the recruitment has tried to Dig into, you know, it it seems like with with the focus on everyone else, it was really on on Gen Z, Mm -hmm. you know, to try and and create a a bump uh, after there. But it it misses millennials and it misses, you know, some of the Xers who may be interested.
1: They're trying to find a bump in a demographic where there are so many distractions in today's life, whether it would be, you know, cell phones or like people are busy and Mm -hmm. they're stressed and they got a lot of stuff going on. And so it's really kind of hard to try to compete for that time window. But yeah. when you get to see the people that actually do come out and, and see it and kind of unplug a little bit and really kind of take that breath, right. it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's something that I think that it's, first of all, it's needed. It's necessary for, for all of us to kind of try to uh, take some time and, and get outside and, and just do some of these things. that It's just like soul-restoring. But it's 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 hard. It's try, it's they're trying to compete uh, in a marketplace that's pretty over. Uh, it, it's it's a busy marketplace.
0: Well, and I, and I I hear I hear what you're saying on the on the distractions. It seems like to me that when this becomes the distractions, right. You know, when hunting becomes the distraction, a oh. lot of the other ones go away. Oh, it's my distraction. And 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 well, yeah. And so uh, you know, I I complain about myself sometimes. You know, or, or you talk to most anyone, it's like there are things that get in the way, like preventing you from getting out and, and doing this. I mean, oh, nothing prevents uh, me from getting out <laughs> and doing this. Well, it's like, man, I wanted to go on this weekend, but this thing came up or whatnot. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's 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 interesting because hunting in the past was always called like an avocation mm. uh you know it wasn't your primary your your vocation was your job and and your kind of your life but but this was the the escape from that mm-hmm. you know and so uh where it was like you know you didn't want to have to deal with work and the, those kind of things and right and you get into you know just being here in the moment <laughs> right. in the, you know yeah not having a lot of those other problems to worry about or, or, and possibly even working through some of those issues in life, you know?
1: Very much so. I, but I, I, I'll tell you, I, I learned a secret. Just say no to everything during hunting season. And <laughs> after a few years of doing that, people just stop asking you to do anything. And then you're just, your calendar opens up.
0: They're like, oh, it's, it's this hunting yeah. season. He's not going to want to yeah. do any of uh, that uh, stuff. One of my so.
1: best friends, he was, uh, he, he pitched the idea that his wife really wanted to get married in October. And I was like, man, I'll send you a nice gift. And he's like, no, you're my best man. I was like, yeah, not going to be there. <laughs> yeah, well, I, And I told my
0: friends, I mean, a lot of, you know, guys who, who I started bringing into to hunting and all that other right. stuff, uh, you know, I told them, I said, look, you you need to plan your life out properly. Okay? <laughs> right. There are some life choices you need to make. Right. One of them is you don't get married during the season. Right. Right. You make sure... To, to plan when that kid's going to be born. Yeah,
1: Valentine's Day very dangerous be- day. Very
0: very, very bad dangerous stuff. dangerous day. You know? <laughs> um,
1: and it's like you know, it,
0: yeah. Make sure you life like don't have don't have birthdays, don't <laughs> anniversaries. None of that stuff should happen during the, the prime yeah. time, and because uh, it, it can be complicated.
1: Well, it's just you're just setting yourself up for a lifetime worth of fights. Is what you're doing.
0: <laughs> one of the things it's funny. Uh, one of my friends his wife's birthday is September first. Mm. I mean, and and how in the world in Arizona, you know, like <laughs> you, your wife's birthday is September 1st, he, from the beginning, he set the precedent. Yeah. He goes dove hunting on September 1st. Sure. In the morning and stuff. Now he has to make up for it. Well, yeah. You, know, well, you don't have to hunt all day all on right, September right, right. 1st.
1: It's day one of the season. I mean, and a lot of times, maybe you're living it out by like 10. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Right>? Sure. <laughs> but yeah that's those are those are kind of the the life lessons of um well and i mean to be fair uh there's about five percent of us that go this completely insane (laughs) i mean like there are a lot of people i have a lot of friends that are very good hunters and outdoorsmen and fishermen and the, the hikers and everything else that are very happy doing it uh 15 days a year and on the weekends i can't do that <laughs> that is not i don't live there
0: sure well you know and we do know that i mean randy newberg has like he gives like the best marriage advice oh i listen to it even though i'm not stuff. married right he, he gives the best marriage advice like i i have worked long and hard with my i, I give terrible marriage advice first of all <laughs> but but uh the few things i will say that somehow i lucked out and i was i was Telling Motting this and, and he's like, he's like, Man, that's like Newbury level. He's like, You gotta give me that secret. Cause my wife now has figured out that when we want to go on vacation or when she wants to go on vacation, sometimes she tries to sell me on the vacation <laughs> on what I can do sure. hunting or fishing wise sure. while we're
1: there. That's good. And, uh, that's good marketing on her, on her part.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. She can, she can sell me on that stuff and, and you know, lines up so that I can sneak away for like maybe a day or two and, sure. and go, you know, experience that and stuff. So that's, it's been hugely beneficial. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I think I started working on it pretty early to say, you know, I, you know, we should do that. Oh, guess what we could do on there. Yeah. yeah hunt going on or something you know well we can try fishing or something so you know and it's not like one of those obvious ones where it's like you know hey we're gonna go to alaska well i think if you're gonna go to alaska it's like (laughs) yeah "Yeah, we're probably gonna get on a fishing boat and try and do some fishing hey honey do
1: you want to go to north dakota the second week of october and go up there and just hang out for a few no nobody's gonna buy that john (laughs) right for sure
0: um well and once i had discovered uh hawaii Mm -hmm. um honestly hands down I, I, I love bird hunting in a lot of other states. Hawaii was probably the, the most insane bird hunting I've heard I've ever experienced on the Big Island. Mm. Um, it, part of it was because it isn't like you know like we're down here and okay you know there's quail and so we might we might be in an area where it could be a gambles or it could be a scale quail mm-hmm. and we might see a dove you know flush out of the, the grass when we're doing all that stuff. When you're in Hawaii and and they threw the dogs out. Um, it, they were birdie the moment they hit the ground out of the truck. Mm-hmm. It was the craziest thing to see, but and then all of a sudden they're they're going on point. You what the the, the real big question was is what bird is coming out of the grass because
1: mm-hmm.
0: you don't know. Right. You know it, it, they have four different pheasants, three different franklins, <laughs> sand grouse. We flushed turkeys out of this fireweed grass they had out there. Yeah. Like the, and it, a full, like you know, Rio grand turkey is hiding in this grass. <laughs> the same with all these fences and stuff. So it was like, okay, dogs on point. Let's, you know, let's see what we can do. And as somebody your on as, stuff.
1: as somebody who has uh, had a turkey flush off of a point, clean underwear may be needed. I mean, we're like we're talking about earth-shattering flush. <laughs> like it is a startling thing.
0: Oh no, it, it, it was crazy and stuff. But then w- when you think about that, it, you know. You have to really watch your limits right uh, on stuff because it was like okay well the limit for pheasants is this and the limit for franklin's is this and right. and so it was uh, you know really watch and pay attention and stuff i
1: i can't do it though because i can't take my own dogs there like the the loophole or the hoops you have to jump through to try to get your dogs to go to, to hawaii is nuts yeah and i as much as i love hunting I love hunting over my dogs more
0: well your dogs would would have an interesting time in hawaii if they were there yeah based on how many feral cats
1: my dogs have no problem with cats
0: (laughs) really they don't want to try and chase eat them nope oh well they could have fun doing it zero
1: (laughs) desire uh in fact uh funny story um some people who like cats if they listen if you have a huge cat contingency to listen to your podcast i don't know that uh they would like the story but Uh, I had a, for a whole year, I had this big black tomcat in my yard out on my farm in North Dakota that I would occasionally see. I could never get it. Like, I mean, when I mean get it, I mean get it. (laughs) Capital G-E-T-I-T. And uh, one night, I'm sitting on my couch, literally watching that 70s show in November, and it's pretty cold, and out on my deck, I can hear, meow i was like oh i got you now and so i go outside and i bring all three dogs out i was like i just got this german short hair those things will kill a cat I open up the door there's it's not that cat it's a little year old kitten or somebody something that somebody dropped off in the country because people are dicks uh, but <laughs> uh uh and all three of my dogs like ran up to it and sniffed it. The cat ran in the house and all three dogs went and laid down by it. I was like, Oh, come <laughs> on. Like you talk about the biggest backfire of all time. I mean and so it ends up costing me money to get the cat fixed, and then I end up having to home it for a while until I can find somebody to take the dang thing. And all because I was thought that I had this badass dog that would go out there and potentially kill this cat. And eat cats. N- <laughs> negative. Did not happen that way at all. My dogs do not have a problem with cats
0: yeah i was really i was really blown away by the number of cats when i was in hawaii mm. um at the resort everything else well you would think um, that
1: if there's that many cats there would not be that many birds well
0: and so i stayed at, i ended up staying at like the waikaloa resort it's a hilton resort there and and i was there for a meeting and um, what's interesting? What's
1: interesting about you this? You get to resort, go to the coolest meetings. I, I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, so
0: I'm at, I'm, I'm at this place. Well, they, you know, they have an, uh, an endangered goose species in in Hawaii called the the nene. Okay. Okay. Isn't and that a dance? It, it, it is now. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but based so, on the
1: goose, I wonder. Uh,
0: who knows? Could be. But, uh, so they have this goose here and and at the Hilton there, they actually have a, like a pen, like a little zoo pen with, with plexiglass windows stuff. It's open air on top. Um, but you know, here's all these geese in this pen. And I think it's all part of like either, you know, educating folks, but also like a holding place for birds that like can't be released in the sure. wild they could have been injured and not yeah, be able to fly like anymore
1: a mini rehab kind of a deal yeah
0: and, but it was cool for me to go see them i was like you know i'd walk by them every day and check them out they're, they're they're a cool looking goose and um but i was like man i'm like cats most other places like they would be like trying to figure out a way in there so they <laughs> kill that thing and eat it or maybe the goose is just too big it's not like a large goose or anything i think i probably a regular tomcat could take it out um but uh that, it was always the the odd part to me. And then I would sit in my, my hotel room early in the mornings. Uh, I'd go out on the balcony mm-hmm. and watch. Uh, they had this golf course. You could see this golf course from up there. And, uh, I'd watch the mongoose. Uh, oh, run around the really? like, golf courses that they had brought out there. Yeah, it's it's it was very, very strange, kind of a surreal experience. I'm like, because at first I was like, what is that running around on the golf course? Because um, they just they almost look like ferrets, you know? Right, <laughs> right. Of, I'm like, what, what that's is a weird-looking mink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wait, that's a mongoose and stuff. Right. So it, very, it, and turkeys are nuisances there. Right. That's the other weird, I drove through a neighborhood, and there were literally turkeys sitting on the the trunks of cars mm. in a neighborhood roosting at night and i was like I, what how <laughs> you know no no wonder why they're like yeah go you know go shoot a bunch hun- of h- – lack of a hunting
1: culture go is a problem. go shoot a bunch yeah. of
0: turkeys you know um yeah. I, their, their limits are pretty generous in the fall that <laughs> uh <laughs> I bet. for fall turkeys but yeah really kind of wild <laughs> You've been bird hunting. I mean, obviously, you you spend a lot of your year traveling and, and bird hunting and all that other 136
1: stuff. 136 like,
0: days a year. And I, I know you like Arizona, but do you have, like, any other favorites, like, throughout your year that you're kind of like?
1: Well, I can give you a couple. Yeah. Um, I can't – like, North is always going to be number one for me. It's home, yeah. for starters. Uh, and this is the first year in a long time that I really didn't uh, – Uh, I didn't really adventure out too terribly much this year. So I started my my season this year uh, with a pretty epic uh, Montana trip that I've been doing now for a couple years. And when I got home from that, I was like, okay, North Dakota is where I'm going to be for this year because our bird numbers were bonkers, for starters. Uh, And it was the first time in, I think, five years where I didn't take any other trips out of state from like say september 10th until now uh and i kind of like it was kind of almost like a coming home season for me where it's like okay this is actually it's still pretty dang cool you know i mean i can go out and i can walk out of my house and go and shoot three different species of birds from my yard I can go out and shoot sharp grouse and Hungarian partridge and pheasants, and I've shot snow geese off of my off of my porch. I've shot uh, I shot a swan off my deck one day that I was very concerned was going to land on my roof and cause stru- structural damage. Um, but so, North Dakota is always going to be number one for me. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a very special place. It's been a destination for wing shooters for a very long time, and with very well deserved. And I know you can attest to that because uh, I took you hunting up there. Um, uh i have uh montana is is fantastic i really do like hunting over there um south dakota mm, like i get i get pheasants at home i can do without that but the fort pier national grassland for prairie chickens is a pretty special place as well yeah so i mean like it's really hard to pick you know kansas bobwhites uh rough grouse in michigan uh three days tops for the rough grouse in Michigan yeah. after that, it gets to be a little redundant. Uh, you can only get whacked in the face with branches so many times before it stops being fun. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, North Dakota, Arizona, and probably Montana after to my top three. Yeah.
0: yeah. Any, any bucket lists, hunts or places like oh, you have,
1: well, next year is going to be some, there's going to be some things happening. Uh, yeah. So, um, I'm taking a little bit of a uh, risk a little bit. I'm hiring a camera guy to follow me around for a season because um, you know, why not uh, for starters? But um, part of the reason is, is because I've finally decided that I'm going to go ahead and do one of my bucket list hunts. Um, it's Alaska for Tarmigan and I'm driving all the nice. way there, <laughs> uh, road tripping up uh, going to be their opening day in August. I'm uh, gonna try to hunt all three species of ptarmigan. Gonna try to do sharp tails over by Fairbanks, gonna try to do spruce grouse, rough grouse, and just just lay it all out. I'm gonna be up in Alaska for probably two weeks. And then of course do some halibut fishing and salmon yeah. fishing and everything else. You try
0: and do like the the whole Alaskan upland slam.
1: Gonna try. I mean yeah. I, I have no idea if it's doable or not. I mean I, I know Thankfully, having done my podcast now for four years, I've got some some dudes that uh, <laughs> that, that I know and that uh, I, I, they don't owe me any favors, but they will do me a favor. Uh, sure. So you know, uh, and they they know that I will return the favor if they ever come down uh, this way, um, meaning the states at all. Um, and so I got I, I'm going to have some local help, and that's one of the coolest things about social media and podcasting world and all that kind of stuff. Is that uh, you know, it's it kind of makes things like that possible. Cause if yeah. I get up to Alaska, I can look at the country and be like, uh, oh. what now? <laughs> like I'm here, what? but where, where do I go? You, you know? And I mean, I can do some research. I can talk to biologists such as yourself. I can talk to game and fish. I can talk to whatever, yeah. but without that local knowledge, the learning curve is pretty freaking long. Sure. Uh, so, uh, I'm going to try to do the three species of, of ptarmigan are really kind of my goal sure um because i've done um i've done spruce grouse and rough grouse and sharptails i haven't done the sharp tails in alaska but i've shot plenty of sharptails and they're sure similar right uh so that is definitely one of them uh the other one i don't know if i'm going to do it yet this year i'm away back home uh from down here but uh chucker yeah haven't done it yet uh and in all honesty um I'm a little bit nervous that I just don't have quite what it takes physically to get it done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, you know, I'm not getting any younger and uh, I know that I can go up and down Mern's quail canyons. Uh, I mean, like it can be steeper, um, but, you know, I'll just do what I can and see what see if I can get one or not. Nice. Yeah, I, I don't have that many that many species left to knock off the bucket list. Yeah. I got uh, mountain quail and valley quail, which I hope to check off next year as well. Chucker, and then the three ptarmigans, and that's it. I've done yeah. I, I've done all the rest of them.
0: I, I, I want to give you a super pro tip from from personal experience on mountain quail. Um, shoot them uphill mm. only from you. Mm. <laughs> I have I have been in the coastal range. Yes, and uh, in a very very steep segment and <laughs> shot one below me yes that rolled all the way to the bottom mm-hmm. and i had to go all the way down to retrieve it and come up, of course you have dogs but but and then had to come all the way back up to where i was because we were working our way up hills. <laughs> so it was a it was a little frustrating to to, to say the least to i uh, like.
1: I've, i have made a career out of uh, being the downhill guy. (laughs) So, uh, anything that I can do, uh, to make it easier for me, I'll take any advice I can get. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Shoot them uphill. So they roll down to you instead of all the way to the bottom. So, um, I want to pivot just a little bit, um, because I I think you made a, a a really kind of a great, uh, segue for that. Uh, recently Matt Ranella, um, posted about how, you know, how the social media uh, goings on in hunting have have kind of ruined the sport and are ruining that uh, aspect of it. But, but one of the things, you know, you, you just touched on it here. It, it, it's something similar to me where there are some great, whether you agree with or, or disagree with his statement, there are some, some definite positive things Uh, that social media has done for hunting in terms of exposure and all that. When I, when I came up to visit you all those years ago, um, you had to do some work for a couple days and I wanted to go chase Sandy O'Cranes in the middle of the state. Right. Um, And uh, a guy reached, I posted, Hey, I'm up in North Dakota, you know, great hanging out with, with Tyler and stuff. And, and a guy reached out to me because, mm-hmm. you know, said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm heading over here to hopefully go chase sand cranes. He's like, hey, man, I live over here and da, 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 da. And, and he had been like scouting out the cranes. And so he sends me a message through Instagram. We chat. I head over. I meet him at a bar mm-hmm. um, the night I got. over there. one dozen North Dakota. <laughs> yeah. Met him <laughs> there. It, never met this guy before in my life. You right. know, he'd followed my page and, and and all or followed my account and I had followed him and and we talked about it, and he set me up basically on the fields for the next morning because mm-hmm. I was going to get there too late to be able to scout it myself. Right. And uh, a huge win on my behalf, yeah. you know, and, and a really nice guy to boot. And, uh, it, you know, it, obviously, you know, you get to know a lot of folks through social media who've never either met in person or any of that stuff. Sure. And, um, but those connections aren't ones that you would kind of normally or readily make otherwise right. any, by any other means.
1: Right. Uh, for me, it's all about how, and I'm all all about helping folks, uh, trying to make their experience the best that it can be. Uh, yeah. For any of the states that I hunt in, I am I will readily give information. I'm not going to give spots, hmm. and I do definitely think that there is an ethical area there uh, that that needs to be talked about a little bit. I mean, everybody knows that that people have been screaming about hot spotting for years. Right. Um, <laughs> let's define hot spotting just for a second because I got a couple really funny stories about this. Right. Um, Hotspotting to me would be like, go to this spot and then walk that direction and shoot said birds or animal or whatever. Right. Not a broad geographic area right so um i had people uh i had a guy this year um i do, i can't remember his name if, if i could i would actually say it because uh we had a, i i called him i i'd like he sent me a message and it was it was kind of so funny that i just i was i felt inclined i was like here's my phone number please call me because i'd really like to talk to you a little bit more about this so i was hunting spruce grouse this year in northwest montana and i said on instagram i'm hunting spruce grouse in northwest montana And I get this long Instagram message about how uh, it's a finite resource and a finite amount of land for people who don't own their own and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, Montana is the third biggest state in in the country uh, behind Texas and Alaska. Northwest Montana is the size of freaking Iowa. I'm not hotspotting by saying Northwest Montana. (laughs) That is not even close to the definition of hotspotting. So... Uh, and I've I've had it, like, when I started, I did a couple TV shows with The Flush and stuff like that, and they identified the town that I live in. They asked me, they're like, would you mind if we said Stanley, North Dakota? I said, no. I said, first of all, I've been talking about it for years on my podcast already. I mean, if people don't already know um, where, um, where basically exactly where my house is at, uh, they can probably figure it out. Uh, but... Like... I, it doesn't bother me. Right. Like by saying a town, people still have to do their own work to go out and figure it out. Uh, to you know, you can ask me what kind of uh, habitat I'm finding them in, what kind of whatever, and then you can go out and you can kind of find your own spots uh, on you know all on your own. And it really does come down to how somebody asks me for information. Uh, if somebody sends me a message, hey, uh, I need a spot. I'm looking for pheasants, where do I go? Well, I'm probably not gonna answer that question. You know, I'm not gonna, you know, if you say, hey, I'm up here, I'm looking for pheasants, I'm over by this town. Um, what are you finding them in? Uh, what should I be focusing on? What shouldn't I be focusing on? Uh, I will answer that question. And so the whole conversation and, and the, the article, or the, yeah, the article that, that Matt Ranella uh, wrote I think it's a little bit misguided. Um, Like, I I don't think that, um, I think that social media has a lot of net positives for hunters. Mm -hmm. um, Especially for people who have a little bit of an adventurous spirit that want to go and try something new that they haven't done before. Sure. Uh, You know, like, say somebody from the East Coast. They're like, man, you know, what I'd really like to do is go down to Arizona and go hunt Mern's quail. Well, good luck. I mean, like, you know, without asking for help and, like, even asking you or the Game and Fish or hiring a guide or something like that, um, like, you're kind of, like, like it's a long shot that you're actually going to have a trip that's successful enough for, to make you want to return. Sure. So by making a post in something like the Project Upland community page or, You know, reaching out to a podcast or uh, putting a post up on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you know, maybe there's somebody out here in Arizona that wants to go to where you're at and do what your state is really good at. Hmm. There's nothing wrong at all in my mind with sharing information. Uh, I think that it's a really good thing and it makes our community tighter as a group. Yeah i i mean i i just th- that's my thoughts on the whole thing oh. i i have uh i have shared a lot of information i've taken a lot of information um and i will continue to do so uh, sure. both ways
0: yeah and, th- and there are some things i you know <sighs> so a- as an example um you know waterfowl hunting here in arizona sure okay um I think a lot of people, because we have so few waterfowl hunters, you know, they they like to think that sometimes they found a secret spot.
1: There are no secret spots, it,
0: well, <laughs> I, and that's that's what I keep trying to point out. It's like as limited as water is here, right? And as dedicated as the duck hunters are here, mm-hmm. it might be secret for a week, maybe. Okay, but if if birds are piling into it mm-hmm. and you're getting <laughs> them, even if you don't share pictures or any other stuff with no identifying characteristics, or whatnot. Guys will be out scouting and be like, Man, I see a bunch of ducks diving in over there. I need to go check it out. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they're there. The guy who's been there for a week already comes in. Oh my God, you know, it's ruined. Somebody must have, you know, told him where it was or, you know, I <laughs> mean, but I'm like, Yeah, there, there, there really are no secrets no. To, the, to the folks who are really dedicated into, into finding stuff, right. You know, it's it, especially with public lands. Right. I mean, how big of a secret is public lands? Right. Um,
1: Oh, that was the other example that I had. I had somebody from down here yelled at me for saying that I hunted, I was hunting Merns quail in uh, the Chiricahuas. Or no, not in the Chiricahuas, in the Coronado. Yeah, Coronado, Ashrafaro. It's 175,000 acres. No. That's not hot spot. I'm sure. sorry. I mean, like, it's a big place, yeah. right? I mean, like, it's, over
0: several mountain ranges.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, it's like, come on, guys. I mean, like, let, let's use a. It's not a secret that there are mern's quail in the Coronado.
0: Pretty much, that's that where most is of them exist. That is their range, <laughs> yes. right?
1: So, I mean, like, it's. It can be a positive, and it could be a negative, but. You know, and I understand that that uh, I'm I'm definitely biased because I I come from a state where, I mean, ducks definitely outnumber people like multiple times to one, right? <laughs> right. Uh, there's I live in a state of six hundred and seventy seven hundred thousand people or whatever, where most most states have Phoenix is bigger than my state uh, by a lot, so I understand that my perspective is going to be a little bit different, but you know just. Get out there and go and find new spots. Like I, I don't like hunting the same damn spots, anyways. I want to go out there and find new spots. Sure. And when you're hunting on public land, it's just that it's public. So if somebody else finds that spot, you tip your hat to them. You say, "Good luck, man. I know there's some birds in there. Go have some fun." And you go and go and find something else. No. There's there's endless amounts of opportunity and well, spots.
0: Well, I think one of the things that that a lot of a lot of people don't talk about or don't consider is uh, the perception that that all of us hunters have um, about hunting and about uh, hunter crowding mm-hmm. and and what works and what i mean wade is is like my primary example Wade's our lingo <laughs> good friend of ours he's he 's my prime example he 's the kind of guy who when he goes out hunting he doesn 't want to see um, another hunter right you know he doesn't want to run into anyone is you know, like he wants to feel like at least his his yeah. and stuff are, are just his sure you know and and in some ways you know it 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 kind of ruins his experience a little bit when he sees someone else out there sure but can two hunters share a, a landscape of you know however sure. large you know 40 50 hundred thousand two hundred thousand yeah. acres i mean like whatever it is right um you know because that public ground or whatever. I mean, it isn't just his, right. It's also whoever he runs into. I mean, and like we said, there really, there are no kind of secret spots or at least they won't remain a secret forever. Right. You know, you, you, you well, can't seem to hold on. It's it's like holding on to air. I mean, right. eventually
1: like our friend, Ron Bame from the hunting dog podcast says, he's like, you know, when I go to, when I go to one of my spots and I see a truck uh, in one of my spots, I don't get mad. I get excited because it gives me an opportunity to have a conversation and share a beer with somebody at the end of the day. Sure. you know, it, and I really do look at it that way a lot and once he said that I'm like yeah man like I, I like stopping and talking with other hunters and seeing how they're doing sure um you know if if it's especially if I see uh like women and or kids out there um I'm like I, I've seen it a lot of times where you can just tell that people are kind of struggling right mm-hmm. and I'm very very willing to just stop and be like hey how's it going you guys have any luck and if they're like man we're getting our butts kicked it's like well you know, go up here and check this spot out. I think I think there's a few birds in there or whatever. And the other thing about hunting down here, I could tell people exactly where to go and look for merns quail, and the chance of them finding them cubbies is not 100%. Right. I mean, like it's far less than that. I like I I we saw on Thursday, uh me and Motting and uh and Wade went into a spot just to kind of go and scout a little bit. And we ended up seeing a tank with a bunch of mallards on it and so we went me and wade went sneaking up there i whacked uh i shot a double on on green heads and wade got one and when we're standing there he sends his dog oakley down for the retrieve and she's bringing one of the ducks back and then he sends her down for the retrieve again and i watch a merns quail get up and fly up onto the side of a hill and i said wade did you see that i think that was a merns quail and just then another one took off and went up and landed right in the same spot. He said, oh, my gosh, that was Mern's quail. So we get both ducks, all three ducks. We walk back to the truck, grab our vests, and uh, grab Shiloh, his dog, who's one of the most experienced Mern's quail dogs that, that, that there is, really. Uh, and we walk right down there to exactly where we saw those birds land, and she's tracking and birdie and pointing and tracking and tracking and tracking and birdie and pointing, never found them. Yeah. No. Like, it's just, like, it's not a guaranteed thing. Yeah. So, I mean, like we were talking about earlier, the birds do win, and especially down here, and when the sunning conditions are the way they are. Yeah. I could tell somebody, I could drop a pin and be like, go to this tree and shoot, or I could, I could drop a pin into that wash we were in today for gambles. Mm-hmm. Go to this wash and shoot gambles. There's gambles in there. Yeah. Good luck. Well, and, and so,
0: like I said, I mean, there, there, there are people who are, who are kind of at that extreme level. Well, they don't want to see anyone. You know or or you know, if they see some, eh, maybe it's not the end of the world, sure. you know, um but but you know, maybe it's just like ah, oh, you know it's irritating, right mm-hmm. um and I defy anyone, you know some of my experiences are a little more solitary like mm-hmm. that, but come with me to Yuma, Arizona, right, okay, me and oh, twenty me twenty thousand of my closest friends, half of them from <laughs> right. California, right, go and invade Yuma, right. And opening morning, we are, for the most part, I mean, you can go down to the three miles of shooters, right? Everyone is stacked up 15 to 20 yards apart. At least hundreds of people just on this single road. Right. Okay. All pointing in the same direction. And guess what? The, the craziest part about it all, everyone's happy.
1: Everybody gets along. Yeah. Right.
0: Everyone attempts, you know, is being safe the best that they can. I mean, sometimes there's a little bit of like, you know, oh, you're crowding me or whatever, and you know, sure. oh, we were here first, whatever, you know, I'm first kind of thing in the morning. But at the end of the day, it's all smiles. Everyone gets their birds, right? It,
1: it, no issues. Yeah.
0: Now I, I defy anyone out there who's like, who's like, you know, oh, Hunter crowding's an issue. Come with me. Sure. Uh, I, sure. You, you want to see hunters?
1: Right. I will
0: show yeah. you hunters. Yeah, hold my beer. Do 20,000 yeah. people show up to your hometown? I mean, other than like maybe, you know, Aberdeen or something, in South Dakota for pheasant season or something, do yeah. you see mobs of hunters sure. invading a spot, right. you know, where it's like, okay, this is good.
1: Yeah. And plus, what does that do to the local local economy in Yuma?
0: Oh, it's, it's huge. Yeah. 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 I Opening mean, like, weekend is about like $6 million. Sure. You know, just
1: when you talk about, the you talk about like Aberdeen or Mobridge in South Dakota, they, like, they want to see hunter crowding. Oh, yeah. Because that means dollar signs coming into their community. Mm-hmm. And us as hunters, uh, they're not going to take all the birds, right? Yeah. I mean, the amount of money that they're going to bring in is going to have a huge positive on boat ramps and shooting ranges and, sure. like, trap teams for kids. And, all, like, all this kind of stuff that's yeah. going to be putting money back into conservation, plus the amount of money they're spending in bars and restaurants oh. and hotels like this. I mean this little hotel here that my aunt has mm-hmm. without coil hunters i don't know if it would have been if it'd still be open yeah well like, at, at you the, know
0: the yuma catholic high school right parents come down because they do a 175 gun raffle you know after the, it's their fundraiser all these hunters coming down to yuma right. and stuff they've got it set up you buy tickets it's like yeah here's a 20 bucks you know mm-hmm. a whack for these this huge gun raffle <laughs> Um, and it's just, I mean, it's its a ton of Start stuff. Start asking
1: but people to buy raffle tickets after about, they're about three margaritas deep and yeah. watch the 20s come out. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it,
0: but it's its one of those things where, you know, I, I, I would defy you, you know, to say, uh, uh, just to even aside from from the economic benefit. Sure. Hunt, we as hunters talk about improving our image to the public and all that stuff. And when you have an entire town, okay, of people who are supportive behind you, hmm that that a that a, a city might come up and go to bat for you right you know because our town relies on hunting right you know i mean that says something even more than just you know hunters kind of go no no we're good people and all that sure other stuff i sure. mean like you know a, a town can literally say no we want hunters right. we need it. and and our image in that town goes up you know well it's just it it, it is important you know those are kind of some of those other things the fact that that we show up and support and 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 go to local businesses. Um, you know, when I go crane hunting, I mean, they're, they're here in these small towns here in Southeastern Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I make sure to, man, I, I stop and get gas and I stop and get ice. Um, and I, and I go eat at the local restaurants, yes. you know, and I want them to see us there cause I want them to go, Oh, you know, the crane hunters are here. Mm-hmm. Um, because they come every single year and, and, you know, buy some food and, and, you know, have a couple of dinners here when I order pizza, um, you know, aside from just, you know, the, what we're cooking in camp and doing all that stuff. I mean, I, I, to me, I think those things are important.
1: Oh, for sure. Um,
0: you know, where it's, where it's an even smaller town than Yuma. I mean, you know, Yuma at least is fairly sizable um, by comparison. I mean, you know, I go into a town of, you know, just a couple hundred, you know, three right. four hundred. It's like it, anytime you show up in a small town like that, I mean, that's noticeable. They're like, right. oh, oh the sure. guys with camo are here. Right. <laughs> what's, right. what's all that about? Right. So, um it, it, you, you kind of get to see some of that, you know, I think, uh, in different ways, but, but yeah, in terms of improving an image, you know, like they're, there are more than one way to do it. And, and so heck the fact that I, I can't remember where I was, I, uh, I was so impressed with the fact that, that South Dakota had hired a, a marketing firm
1: mm-hmm.
0: um to sell the pheasant hunt yeah um i mean that's it's a state in the now. Most,
1: in the most famous pheasant hunting state in the country already
0: sure yeah you know but but like actually advertising it across the country in different magazines social media you know however they mm-hmm. were doing it you know to have a state that supports hunting yeah, like that that's impressive yeah you know that but, but it's it's a viable economic i mean the fact that the the board of tourism sees it you know local governance uh, all that kind of comes together to say you know hunting's important to our state. it's, it's a it's an it's an import or an yeah. export yeah that's it's, valuable
1: yeah it drives the economy
0: yeah sure. it, it's it, to me that that should is what hunters should kind of take into mind and go yeah you know what opening day in in South Dakota is probably pretty thick
1: <laughs> well there's a, there's a reason why uh why th- there's no school in South Dakota on opening day pheasant season uh, or deer season or you know i mean like it, it's it's a it 's a holiday yeah it's a holiday at the local schools yeah, yeah.
0: so like you know i mean to me sometimes and, and, and you know it may just be me, but sometimes you know it's like man, I saw somebody out there it just irritates me and ticks me off yeah. like i just can 't even take it seriously yeah. sometimes i'm like and you know and there been there's actually been um, scientific research done on hunter crowding issues and the fact that it actually didn't matter how many people were out there well, it was it was a self perception yeah. of what you think hunting should be yeah. not the fact of like how, what the actual density of hunters was per square mile or,
1: or any of that other stuff right you know uh wednesday's a really an example uh, we were kind of there well there was a guy on on instagram who was We'll say he was having a little hissy uh, Mm -hmm. about this whole hunt to eat camp. And, uh, you know, he was talking about, oh, geez, you know, I was walking in boot prints all day and there's people out there with 30 dogs and camps of 20 people and all this kind of stuff. And me and Wade went down into the most famous area in Mernsquale country. We seen a guy with one dog driving around on the roads and that was it. No. We never seen any other trucks. We never seen anybody walking, nothing. So I don't know where all these dudes were at. I don't know if they got abducted by aliens or <laughs> what sure. happened, but I think a lot of it comes down to the, you know, some of these guys, they have a spot that they hunt every year. Mm-hmm. And the first time that they see somebody in that spot, it, they feel attacked yeah. because it's, you know, and, you know, and a lot of times, there's emotion to a lot of that stuff because maybe it's a spot that they went to with their dad or their grandpa or you know whatever maybe they've been maybe that's the first spot that their first dog pointed a bird or whatever sure i can understand you know there i got spots like that that are special to me but if you really only have that one spot maybe you're not that much of a hunter you know like it's really kind of hard to say and i don't mean to sound heartless or anything else but you know, I got so many spots in North Dakota and down here that I'm, you know, if I go to a spot and I see somebody else there, you well, know, you found a good one. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to go down the road. Yeah. I got a spot, you know. Well, at
0: the very least, not just having one spot, but having backups. Yeah. Because if you don't have backups, it, you know, things change. I mean, obviously, you know, we've seen all kinds of stuff uh, environmentally, you know, like the think of the California fires. Mm okay imagine you had a great like this was really good spot cor-
1: yeah or mountain you know? spot. Yeah. um
0: and now it's scorched and gone right um i i, I see that here in arizona i mean um uh, up in the white mountains yeah uh man i had i had some great bluegrass spots up there mm-hmm. before the the last big fires went through the bear wallow and all that stuff and it's sad to me because i go back there now and part of me like I enjoy the memories that I have of grouse hunting there. Um, you know, it was it was spectacular, but it, it, of course, it doesn't look anything like it does today. You know, and it'll it'll it won't come back in my lifetime. Right. You know, the 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 spruce fir conifer forest. like yeah, it takes too long. It's it's not going to come back, and to right. have the grouse come back. And so the, the one thing that I do kick myself, I think a little bit on it is that man, why didn't you enjoy this more? Sure. While you still had it. Sure. Um. You know, like oh man, it's gone, <laughs> and and so I'll never be able to to you know hit that spot again. And so. Just having your spot. Right. I mean well, things kind of, happen.
1: Right. It's kinda of like those people that uh uh all day long today. And again, I I really do love all my listeners and everything else. But I get a lot of messages um they're like, What are bird numbers like? We're thinking about coming down to Arizona. It's like, Well, if you're thinking about coming down, come down. Yeah. It doesn't matter what bird numbers are like. I mean, it's better than staying at home in Minnesota when there's nothing else to do.
0: And it's frozen. It's it's nice
1: weather. <laughs> People are great. Food's fantastic. You're gonna find birds if you walk, yeah. uh, but it's like it's a lot like those people that you know. If bird numbers just don't look good, eh, yeah. you know we'll go out next year.
0: Yeah. Some, somehow the the somehow success started getting engaged in harvest. Right. Like in successful harvest. Right. And you know I, you hear a lot about it, like in. Hunter ethics and, and hunter ed classes and all that other stuff, it's like it's like killing something isn't the measure of success of that hunt.
1: Right. You know. The memories are.
0: Yeah, and, and the experience and and all those things, you know, maybe either being out there with friends and family and all that other stuff. But yeah, so many times I think people get caught up in the the, you know, a successful hunt means right. that I've harvested limits every day and and all that other stuff. I mean one one of the the funny things is it because part of bird hunting too is it's it's uh, it's relative. Mm. <laughs> there, there's all these relativity scales, regionally and state to state about things. Uh, uh, when I first got to Minnesota, and, and my first like I finally was in the in the North Woods. In in bird hunting season, I was like, yes, man, I'm gonna go get right. to hunt rough grouse for the first time. Heard all about right. I got up there, started talking. to Guy, yeah, oh, you know, you do anything after this meeting? I'm like going, yeah, man, I'm going to grouse hunting. They said, oh man it's really bad. You came this year. It's a terrible year. It's a terrible year. And I'm like, I'm like, well, okay. I mean, I, I'm going to get to experience this, right. you know, whether it's a good year or bad year. Like I'm, right. I'm here to experience rough grouse hunting, and go see the woods. Like, cause I'd heard so much about it. I've seen so much, you know? And, uh, uh, I was like, okay. And so I go out, um, grouse, you know, guys are like, hey, you know, this forest or this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, I don't have a dog with me. I got my shotgun, I got my license, and and one guy who had a dog, he was gonna be able to, we were gonna link up, but it was gonna be later, so I had some time on my own. So I get out, kind of in my first area, I actually got my first grouse, completely on my own, just no dog, none of the other stuff. And uh, Really cool, I was actually, I was running after this stupid grouse, <laughs> I saw him cross the logging trail in front of me. And then I like was trying to run. You didn't try no, no, to Brandy
1: Newberg at No, I, I didn't, didn't <laughs> shot. I got him to flush
0: to shoot him. And, and it was, it was pretty cool. And so, um, but then I, I just started, you know, going and, um, I'm walking logging roads and I'm literally flushing four grouse per hour. That's great. Okay. That's really no, 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 no. This is bad. This is bad in Minnesota. This is a bad year. It's off year. No dog, no, no. I'm flushing four grouse an hour off logging roads.
1: Right.
0: Right. And so I got a chance to later on, like we, you know, it was a dinner one of the nights and, and all that stuff. And, and I said, I said, well, what, you know, if, if, if this is year? a bad year, what does a good year look like? You know, and, and they were like, oh, you know, I said, because I was, you know, I'll do four, four grouse an hour any day Forever. of the week. I think yeah. that's awesome. And they said, oh, yeah, I probably would have been like 12 to 15. I was like, dear god like that's that's just unfathomable to me and right. I, you know i think it's the same here with mern's quail i mean you know average years for mern's quail average here is a coving hour right for most quail species that's pretty phenomenal yeah you know you don't on, get that on, on bob average in
1: kansas i'll tell you that yeah, right now on
0: an average year to see one coving hour right walking around out there pfft, that's pretty awesome, you know. Right. You can put it in an eight-hour day, have eight possible chances, you know. Right. I mean, that's that's fairly decent. Yeah. And so, like, you know, when you hear, oh, you know, it's a below average year. Darn, you <laughs> yeah. know, yeah. it might right. be an hour and fifteen right. or an hour and a half for yeah. every couple Well, well you like, know?
1: yeah. But, uh, this year uh was another good example in north dakota everybody's like oh man drought must have really affected the birds i was like it's north dakota guys it's always going to be better than most of the other alternatives for pheasants and sharptails and huns just like go or don't go i don't care but i'm telling you (laughs) that there are birds and you will find them if you get out and walk i mean you're not going to trip over them in a walmart parking lot but you will find (laughs) birds
0: Uh, people need them jumping into their game they really do so
1: uh you know and you'd you'd you were talking about <laughs> how, like with bird hunting, everything's really relative. Um, bird hunters and and fishermen, uh, to a certain extent, the farther you get into it, the more that you really just want to try to handicap yourself. Yeah. Like I mean, fishermen, when you can go to a trout stream and you can catch them with uh, not bobbers but floats right. uh, and egg sacks or something like that. Well, that's a little, that's cheating. So we got to try to come up with some fly pattern and we got to do this. And and like, I get it because uh, I'm hunting with pointing dogs on birds that typically don't want to hold. And instead of doing it with a semi-automatic 12 gauge, I'm doing it with a side-by-side 410 Um, because uh, uh, it's not hard enough to try to hit something the size of a tennis ball with something the size of a beach ball in the air when it's flying 40 miles an hour. Uh, I just got to make it that much harder for myself because It's not about killing the birds at all to me. It's about me getting out in the field and experience, experiencing it with friends in a place that, uh, wherever it's at, that I can see the beauty in. I don't like hunting in ugly places, which is why I come down here. I mean, like (laughs) I told you guys earlier, if you guys could get two sunsets a day, this place would be pretty out of control. (laughs) Uh, and I like being in the field with my dogs and watching my dogs run. If my dogs point birds, you know, it's all, it, you watch a covey rise like we've seen today uh, down there when we were chasing gambles. Right. I'll remember that forever. I and mean, we had 40 bird covey fly back over our head. Uh, or this evening, me and Wade and you and Wolf and Josh, we kind of went out on a walk this evening after everybody else took off from the hunt to eat camp. And uh, I had Rusty, my oldest dog out, and I took Wade one way and you three went the other way and mm-hmm. did better uh <laughs> quite <laughs> frankly you guys shot more birds than we did but uh i got to watch rusty track down a cubby of, of scale quail and they flushed right in front of wade right and wade loves uh, scale quail and he has a little bit of a curse going on with him. <laughs> so but like it's about those experiences we right. only killed me and wade killed one bird uh between the two of us Yeah. And it's a hunt that I'll always remember. Like, it doesn't... The number of birds you kill doesn't matter. Sure. Like, it's consequential. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, we, we talked about that, actually, with uh, some of the participants here, you know, like, yeah. like, you know, which... We talked about, your, obviously, your first hunt and mm-hmm. and those kind of things, but, but you know, I mean, when you talk about memorable hunts and a and lot other stuff, uh, it, I mean, I, I think there's just too many to list, you know, And all for very different reasons, right? You could say, what was, you know, your favorite hunt for (laughs) this species or that species, or, or, you know, what's your most memorable, um, because of, you know, something sentimental or, you know, um, there's so many of those, you know, as you kind of go along that, that it's hard to even just pin down. Um,
1: well, I mean, you asked me what, what's my favorite state to hunt. I couldn't even do that. Sure. <laughs> I can't give you one. You know, well,
0: right. and, and we were talking about, um, obviously, you know, it was the, the first year I, I met you mm-hmm. um, actually down here in, here. in, in the Avenue yep. um, and got introduced to, to Craig Jones. I mean, yep. that that guy, my such limited interaction yep. with with a hunter you just drug down here with you yeah, um, had such a profound Impact, yeah, on me, you know, very long lasting. Um, like it was, it was crazy to me. We went up into the poker room, mm-hmm. and there's a bottle sitting there, and it just like that was. I got yeah. taken right back to that moment yeah. and thinking about Craig and just kind of, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, we
1: you, you get a little misty still.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if it, for those of you don't know, uh, Craig Jones was a was a guy that um, uh, Tyler met
1: through. Through social media. Through social media. Like, it's a, it's a crazy story. I mean, you know, the whole reason that we're all, sit, that you and I are sitting here doing podcasts uh, at this place and know each other is because Ron Baim started the Hunting Dog podcast. Yeah. And I listened to it because I was a rural mail carrier and I was tired of listening to the frigging radio. And so on the third episode, he has this crazy dude on there named Craig Jones. Yeah. And I could instantly tell that I liked him. like he's mischievous and he's (laughs) very much full of it and he's just got all these wild stories and so i sent him a message on facebook and this is 2014 seven years ago and uh and he on the podcast he's talking about coming to north dakota every year to hunt pheasants so i sent him a message i was like man if you really want to do some bird hunting not just pheasants but bird hunting in north dakota get a hold of me i said i'll take you out and uh So we kind of, this is like May or June. And so we start sending messages back and forth over Facebook. And then pretty quick, it turns into uh, a meme war. And then it turns into us, you know, trying to do stupid things with our dogs to make each other laugh. And then phone calls and everything else. And then pretty quick, he he calls me. He's like, dude, we're going to be up there the last week of October. Do you have a day that we could meet up and just hunt someplace in between? And I said, yeah, man. I said, but come all the way up to Minot, uh, It's where I was living. And uh, he came up, and he brought five friends with. And <laughs> they, uh, they're they like, well, we're just going to hunt for the day. And I was like, okay. And we had so much fun. They, they're like, man, would you mind if we just stayed and hunt one more – well, hunt in the morning and then take off. They ended up staying for four days. <laughs> like, we just instantly hit it off. It was like we were long-lost friends. that We'd never met before, just just right. met in person for the first time. And so it all kind of led to – that next year, uh, he was going to come down here with us. The first year that I came down here in 15, mm-hmm. and when 15 or 16, I can't remember. 16 maybe. 16, yeah, I think. 16, and uh, when we were supposed to be leaving, uh, him and another friend of ours, Bruce, they were driving. Uh, they were going to be driving down to some place in Tennessee and flying out because it was too cold in Michigan. In Michigan for them to fly their dogs down here. Right. And so they're in a van and Craig has a seizure and thankfully Bruce was driving, but he had a seizure, um, 45 years old, zero history of epilepsy or anything else. Um, instantly when I got the phone call from Bruce, I was like, that's bad. Yeah. And it turns out it was stage four brain cancer. He had a tumor a little bit bigger than a golf ball on the oh. side of his head on the side of his brain. And, uh, so from the hospital bed, I was down here. When we get, when we get the news, uh, he calls me and he says, Hey, I sent that 28 gauge down there with you that I bought that gun to shoot quail in Arizona. He said, you have to shoot it. And I was like, okay, uh, sounds good to me, you know, whatever. (laughs) And he says, I'll be up and Adam and I'll be ready to go. And I'll be down there next year. Well, stage four glioblastoma, he was diagnosed. He was given six months to a year to live. And he was down here that next year and we hunted hard like really hard but he was it was a year after his diagnosis he wasn't even supposed to be here so he had this uh clock that he had that he carried around in his truck and it said uh like he set the the clock as a countdown from 365 days and after that every day after that you know you'd call him and talk to him and be like how's it going he's like well not supposed to be here still here you know. Huh. And he really had that kind of mentality and he came down here and we lit it up, man. It was fun. No. And uh he brought a bunch of Pappy Van Winkle bourbon and cigars <laughs> and we uh we drank way too expensive bourbon and hunted a lot and we shared a million laughs. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, and it, it it was amazing. I mean it was like one of I first of all, like for any of you who who know Pappy Van Winkle's <laughs> like like bourbon, That's it's right. It, you know how hard it is to come by. <laughs> yeah. First and foremost, um, uh, there are lines outside yeah. liquor stores most states on release day every year. Right, um, and only so many get sold, and and it's hard for those who don't know. It, this is this is a a really highly sought after bourbon. Yeah, top um, of the pyramid. Yeah, it's it, it has a long history. Of, big name and does not go for cheap no uh at all and he brought
1: a freaking case (laughs) oh yeah yeah
0: and so when i walked into the avenue and and meet tyler and these guys and and craig's there and stuff and i like see all this bourbon i mean i was like i am immediately outclassed outshined (laughs) walking in here going okay this is this is a whole new (laughs) world for me because like there was (laughs) he had the box of cigars that's dipped in pappies, and I'm like what is going on and so um I had mentioned earlier you know we walked up into the poker room and and there's there sits on the table uh an empty bottle yep. of the 10 year Pappy Van Winkle and stuff and and yep. so I just had to grab it and yeah you know made me made me really kind of think back to to Craig and and uh you know I'm that that dude was just you know yeah but look, it, we're it, gonna hunt it, we're gonna it, uh, it
1: it really does tie back into the conversation that we've been having, though. I mean, I would have never met him without social media. Yeah. Uh, he was an influential uh, cog in my life. I yeah. mean, from only knowing him for, like, we were only friends for five years, four years before yeah. he passed away. Yeah. Um, but he'll go down in history as one of my greatest friends ever. Yeah. And he taught me so much about how to live in the moment. Yeah. I mean, when a person of that age is literally given a death sentence and you have a, now your life has an end date. It has Mm -hmm. an expiration date and to just kind of look at things in a like just change his perspective like that. Yeah. And he's like, all right.
0: Well, there were, there were so many things that he said that, that yeah, did have a profound, you know, they, they were very profound in and of themselves, but also to like, to, to look the man in the face Mm You know, that that, you know, one of his biggest regrets that he was not gonna outlive his bird dog. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, that that his goal was to, you know, just hunt every borrowed day. Yep. Hunt every every place and every bird he could along the way. Yep. You know, and, and uh um that after that trip, you know, um him him saying, you know, John, will be back here next year to Hummer and Squall. You know? Yeah. And, and it was just like, I, I, I hope you do. Yeah. You know? Because and, and, he was just every day, like, just.
1: He was, his enthusiasm for life was just yeah. unbelievable. Like,
0: like, he, you know, he convinced me that he could, I'm going to be here next year. Yeah. You know? Yeah,
1: he told me the same thing. And he said, you know, from the day that he left here, he said, countdown starts to September 1st. And I was like, yeah, it does. Oh. And uh, then in April, he had to have another brain surgery where he lost sight in an eye yeah. uh, in his left eye. And he called me and he's like, well, at least it's not the right eye, I'm right. eye dominant. I can still shoot. He's <laughs> like, good for you, man. And then he was walking. And then that spring he went up and he did a bear hunt in Canada in in May. <laughs> and like, he's up there with one eye walking around with a cane because his one leg doesn't work anymore. And, uh, Then he was at my place September 1st. um, And he couldn't really walk much. And he was in a lot of pain and um, couldn't see out of his left eye. But we put him out on a bucket to shoot doves. And shit he still shot better than most people i know like i think he was going he was running like one for four or something like that with uh with one eye and not being able to walk and everything else and he was just having a blast you know he's sitting there with his dog sending his dog for retrieves and just laughing and enjoying it for what it was you know he had he 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 really did think that um you know he wasn't supposed to be there then so that was just an extra that was bonus time Mm -hmm. and um you know, it, it it really, I think that's kind of what really started shaping my, my view of changing my view on what hunting is. Yeah. It's about those stories and those relationships that you make. And, you know, I don't care that the last time that we were out hunting together, we were sitting on bucket shooting doves. And I think we've shot like eight or sure. something like that. Doesn't matter, like
0: it's more of the fact you were we together. were there we were there,
1: he was there, you yeah. know he wasn't supposed to be there, but he was he said he was going to be there, and he was, and uh you know it's you kind of just can't take that for granted, you know no. he died when he was forty seven years old no. you know it's it's uh it's one of those things that it really does it gives a person a lot of pause uh you know it makes you think about things just a little bit differently,
0: yeah. Yeah, it does. It's. Uh, it, it was. It was rough when I got the news from you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that he'd passed, and and it was just like, uh, like, the air just. I remember. I remember, uh, you and I, at your place, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: when we got a, a setback announcement. Yep. You know, and it just took the air out of the room, and just Did. like, uh, yeah. You know. Yeah, the tumor um, was
1: back. I remember. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that was that was hard, but yeah. but yeah, he did. I, I certainly the one thing. I mean, it's it's such an impactful story that you know I think he had um, even on both of us. But yeah, to to teach us more, like you know, lit, yeah.
1: There's a lot more l- to this. There's, game There's
0: a little, yeah. You know, do do your living while you, you can. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, it, some things are gonna matter. Some things don't matter Most at all. Things are yeah. not gonna matter at all. Yeah. Um, like, I, and buy uh, Pappy Van Winkle's bourbon, uh, <laughs> yeah, drink it every chance you get. That is, I think that's um, what kept him alive as long as it did. <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be a new medical treatment. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, uh,
1: he literally called it the lifeblood for a while, and I, I, I think he may have been onto something. Uh, yeah. If Pappy Van Winkle wants to send me some, well, I'm willing to test it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> test the theory. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, after the namesake of Rip
1: Van Winkle, <laughs> right, I mean, right, <laughs> right? Exactly. In fact, that bottle upstairs is t- is old rip is rip van winkle i believe yeah Uh, but yeah it's uh you know it's when you it's all about perspective i mean if you go out in the field and you want to be upset if you see somebody else or you're not going to be happy if you don't get a limit or you're not going to be happy if your dog doesn't do everything perfectly you're just probably not going to be happy a lot if you go out into the field and watch a beautiful sunrise and enjoy the place that you're in laugh with your friends and enjoy the experience for what it is and not be so goal oriented
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're just going to be a lot happier person in general Sure. and i mean you're just gonna you're gonna get a lot more out of it
0: sure yeah you know i mean it's either that or or you you kind of live with the notion you know that you know maybe hunting dies with you sure because you don't spread it on anyone and you don't want anyone else there and, yeah. and not bringing anyone else in
1: yeah
0: um that okay you're you're the last one
1: yeah
0: um go ahead and enjoy that place all <laughs> <of> yourself <laughs> exactly. because you'll be the last one who does yeah exactly you know right. we'll put in a 7-eleven tomorrow
1: yeah that dollar generals are popping <laughs> up dollar all general, over. family dollars yeah <laughs> <laughs> whatever else it is it's,
0: it's kind of yeah it, i don't know it's it's not not a pleasant thought. At least I think for me, it's not for me either. You know, I, I'd I'd much rather share some of those because having an experience. I mean, there are some experiences that that it is nice, you know, to to just hold and know that that's yours, right? You know, but at the same time, there are other ones where it's where they're shared experiences. Um, you know, much like Craig Jones, mm-hmm. you know. You didn't own him to yourself. I didn't own him to myself. No. Nope. You know, but he's, he's, he's a memory that we share. That we share. Um, Made us in, closer. And, yeah, in, in a lot of different ways. And so um and, and and hunting i mean you know for us to get out and kick around <laughs> <Yeah. you> know, <laughs> some of the stupid things oh my gosh. um you know uh making fun of how wade shoots um yeah. that's a perfect pastime he, for us even
1: and, though he doesn't shoot that bad <laughs> he hopefully doesn't listen to this but he shoots pretty damn good so for speaking of the devil
0: he just walked in <laughs> and behind us to hear us <laughs> had to poke, poke the bear just a little uh, bit um
1: well, but he said that we were going to end up talking until uh, until daybreak and it's getting midnight. close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: well, so just for folks uh, who are looking for Tyler uh, and want to want to tune in on, on some of his adventures and a lot of the upland stuff that, that he puts out, some, some really great content. Um, you've got the Instagram account.
1: It's birds, booze, and buds on yeah. Instagram. Um, and I think that you can pretty much search that almost anywhere it's it's that on youtube as well uh just crossed a thousand subscribers woohoo uh uh, i'm going to be putting out a ton of stuff like i said i'm I'm getting an actual camera person to follow me around next year and that's going to be that's all going to live on youtube what what
0: i find impressive as well and and so this is this is just like another feather in your cap Tyler. is that (laughs) is that if all you search for is birds booze, booze It you don't need up. anything more yeah. because no one in the history of the world has put those, <laughs> those two, two together. <laughs> words together in any, any form or true. fashion other than you so yeah, like you don't true. have to remember just birds and booze yeah it's all good yeah. Yeah. you know yeah. it comes up right and away what else really is
1: there <laughs> <I mean. laughs>
0: very very appropriate but uh no i am looking forward to to seeing your adventure next year that'll be well it's gonna be
1: it's gonna be just like uh everything else that i do in the outdoors it's all gonna be shared so uh whoever's in my camp whenever we're filming They're going to be on, on YouTube Um, because I'm not a, I, I'm like, it's all about the people that I hunt with and there's a lot of them and there's a lot of crazy ones that come in and out of my place or (laughs) the people that are going to be on that trip to Alaska, them are going to be some of the craziest ones (laughs) Uh, and then all the people down here. So um, it's going to be, it's going to be a shared adventure for everybody.
0: For sure. No, it's, it's, it sounds like a great time. I can't wait. I'm still
1: waiting. Wade's got to retire soon because I need a running partner there you go yeah and his wife doesn't really like him that much
0: yeah yeah mm. so i know she wants so. us to keep him yeah. as long as we yeah, can like, down here so he, he,
1: i'm just gonna kidnap him for about <laughs> six or seven weeks a year and we're gonna go and do some stuff and then you know i'll give him back when i'm done <laughs>
0: <laughs> he can find his way home he That's probably right. knows the That's way right. so yeah. well thanks tyler appreciate you coming yeah, on the podcast buddy, absolutely um, i'm glad he came down this weekend check him out uh hope you enjoyed the podcast folks uh we'll have another episode coming up here again soon